Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi 1. And I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture today. Uh, first, our, our portion we're going to focus especially on, but uh, then one that, that brings us some insight as to how they got to where uh, there were issues in worship. But uh, for us really to understand it, uh, we always want to remember the context of any passage, but certainly here, because God is going to say some very difficult things to his people, and he's saying that to us as well. But we need to remember that the context of this passage is what we talked about last week, and that is how he began the book with all these difficult things he was about to say. He first says, I have loved you, and then he explains how he has loved them. So these are words of love for his people in that day and for us as well. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Beginning with verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its, its fruit that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together.
Lord, you have loved us, and you tell us that which is best for us. And so will you enable us by your Holy Spirit to hear what you have to speak into our hearts and into our lives today. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. So all of you are in worship today. And with us also are are people who are live streaming at home this service. Earlier we had a, a service here in the sanctuary. Some will watch this service later on, a recording of it, and I am thankful for every one of you, regardless of where you are, I am thankful that we could join together in worship. And all of us who are are gathered here today will be approaching the Lord's table. And so if, if I had uh, worked my way all the way through Malachi and, and decided to choose a passage that was preparation for the Lord's table, I, I couldn't have worked it out this well. That's God's providence. What, what we're going to do today is, uh, is see what he says to uh, the priests. So it's, it's the priests that we just read about, and in a moment I'm going to Go ahead into chapter 2 and see specifically what he says to the priests and, and what their actions, uh, how their actions caused some of the things that we're going to be dealing with today to take place. Uh, the closest thing probably to the, the Old Testament priest in our day would be the pastor. But this message is not just for me and the pastors here up on the platform. Uh, I see application for uh, those who are also teachers teaching their students, uh, those who are parents to their children, and then also all of us as we set example and by that example teach those around us here in the world that we live in. So there is application for all of us. In the Reformation, uh, they talked about the priesthood of all believers. And so there is application, even though he's speaking specifically to the priests. So I want to read this next section in chapter 2 to you, and we'll make a a few comments, and then we're going to go back to what we just read. But what he's doing, just so you know what's coming, is... Uh, he's about to, to uh, tell them how their actions uh, caused what the people were doing and had an effect on that, influencing them the wrong way in terms of worship. So down in chapter 2, uh, it says this, And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, Then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. 
So what we see here is there is a, there's a threat to them. He says, look, this is what's going to happen. And uh, for those of you that, that don't honor my name, don't give glory to me, he says this, I will curse your blessings. You think you're blessed. You think you've done what's necessary to earn something from me. I will curse your blessings. And then he goes on to describe that curse. Verse 3, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him uh, was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Now, remember, Levi would have been their predecessor in terms of the priesthood. True instruction, verse 6, was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips, He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned away from iniquity. For the lips of priests should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble. Uh, You've caused many to stumble. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi says the Lord of hosts and so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction so here's what I want us to look at at first uh, where he says verse 8 but you have turned aside from the way you've caused many to stumble by your instruction so here he's talking to the clergy Remember, we're applying that to to the clergy, certainly, but also to teachers, to parents, and then to all the rest of us, because all of us are, uh, as followers of Christ, are in a position where there are those looking to us, examining our actions uh, in terms of how we're following him. So here's a question. In uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism, which we hold to, uh, question 150 says this, are all transgressions of the law equally heinous in themselves and in the sight of God? In other words, were all sins equally heinous in that sin and the way God looks at it? And I think a, a lot of us would very quickly, in fact, prior to studying this, I, I, I definitely uh, would have said this. Well, yeah, there are, there, one's as bad as the other. There's no little sins. Even the littlest sin uh, deserves death and condemnation. And so uh, the answer must be yes, they're all equally heinous. But here's the answer to that question, are all transgressions of the law equally heinous in themselves and in the sight of God? The answer is all transgressions of the law of God are not equally heinous. And then the next question, question 151, 
explains what makes some sins more heinous than others. It's not that there's some that are acceptable. You know, that's not, that's not quite as heinous. Don't worry about it. But there are some things that we can do that makes a sin even more heinous. And here's where it connects with what we're talking about. One of the things, it lists a whole number of things which we, we won't go into, uh, and, but if you read it, you'd say, yeah, I can see why that would be more heinous in, in God's sight. But, but one of the things is if a sin is done by those who are a guide or example, likely to be followed by others. Do you see how that fits with this? So if you're the priest, or in our case, teachers, parents, and believers, and others might follow you because of what you're doing, how you're handling something, what your attitude is about something, then when you sin, it's even more heinous in God's sight. And here's, here's another thing that it lists in that question 151. If the sin is done on the Lord's Day, Sunday, or times of divine worship, or immediately before or after these. So, if sin is done in the context of worship, if it's done before you go to worship, or after you leave worship, it makes it even more heinous. Now, all of those fit with what God is condemning here. So now, let's rewind and go back to the first passage that we read and see what kind of corruption of practice, and it was certainly uh, pertaining to worship, what was going on. So what we see uh, in verse 6 is God's statement and their challenge to God. He says in verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? Now remember in the book of Malachi, we talked about this last week. So God will make a statement and then he recites what he knows their answers are, what they're at least thinking in their heart. How have we despised you? What do you mean we've despised you? And then he responds to that. So let me read to you from, from one commentator uh, who, who was saying, you know what, the arrogant spirit in that verse is very much like the arrogant spirit in our day, the commentator was saying. Here's what he said. These people are not in open rebellion against God, nor do they deny his right to offerings, but they're laboring under the delusion that because they brought offerings, they've been true to him all along. When the prophet tells them what God thinks of them, they, with astonishment and impertinence, look into his face and say, we don't see that at all. He's saying, yeah, that's, that's just like our day. But amazingly, 
that was Bible scholar G. Campbell Morgan who said that about 100 years ago. It, it reminded me of how God's word applies to every church of every generation. And if the Lord tarries, they will still be studying Malachi until he comes. So look at God's response and and his correction. Uh, It's pertaining to taking worship lightly. So how were they taking worship lightly? What was their problem that he was dealing with, that the priests were doing, and it was uh, spilling over to the people? First of all, corrupt offerings. Uh, Verse 7. He says, By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. He's saying that your governor wouldn't even accept the kind of offerings you're giving. And you think, you think the, the, the Lord of hosts is going to accept that? So God makes it clear earlier in the Old Testament that when you bring an animal for sacrifice... It is to be an animal without blemish. Now, there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, One of the reasons was to how you feel about God. What are you going to give him? He says, give him something without blemish, something that, that costs you something. But the other thing is this. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament was pointing to the final sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And he was the lamb without blemish. And so to belittle these sacrifices or twist them or or think you can give second best to God is marring even the image of that which was to come, which was the ultimate sacrifice. So corrupt offerings. They were bringing animals that were lame, sick, blind. Ones that if people were looking on, they might say, okay, that, that animal's fine. They might get away with it. But God knew. God knew this was an animal. This was the leftover. This was the one you couldn't sell that nobody would want. And you're bringing that to me, he says. I hope you can see the applications here. They're all over the place in terms of of what, what do we bring to worship? Not bribes, but our whole hearts as opposed to the dregs, the leftovers. To not do that showed a disregard of being willing to obey his direct commands and a disregard toward God. Secondly, they were taking worship lightly by 
speaking badly about what God calls us to in worship. He says, verse 12, but you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruits, that is, its food may be despised. Now, we call this the Lord's table. That's not what he's talking about here. But in my mind, there's no question there is a parallel and an application here. Think about the Lord's table. Oh yeah, it's communion today. When we've informed, has there been preparation? Has there been a self-examination? Of course, that's what we're doing now as well. Or, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll take that. But speaking badly about what he calls us to do. Thirdly, they were taking worship lightly by being bored with worship. Now, this has nothing to do with boring preachers, so don't go there, okay? <laughs> verse 13. I think boring preachers are a sin too, but that's another. <laughs> verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been uh, taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept it from your hand, says the Lord Almighty. What a weariness this is. This is worshiping merely out of duty or obligation. Do we have a duty or obligation? Absolutely. But that's not our primary uh, our primary motive. Our true motive must be more than that. And it's not just that it makes me feel good and I've checked the box for this week. It's not about us. Our worship is about the glory of God, the creator, the living God of the universe that redeemed his people. That's what worship is to be about. And then fourthly, they were taking worship lightly by cheating God in worship. Verse 14, cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and, and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So the problem, what it's saying here is the problem wasn't that they didn't have anything to offer. God wasn't requiring of them that which they could not fulfill. The problem was they had it, those in their flock, and they chose the blemished animals to give. And he says, that's cheating God. Do you want to be in a position of cheating God? It might be perfectly acceptable to everyone around you, but it's not to him. It's saying, God, I'm, I'm going to give you the leftovers. So let's, let's apply this. I'm going to give you three applications today. First of all, you who are here in, in worship, where's your focus? This is, this, I've, I've been working on this text this week and some of last week, and uh, this is very convicting to me because even 
up here on the platform. It is so easy to lose your focus on what we're doing, to to be thinking about what's the next thing I'm going to be doing, what's the next thing, and realize that you're singing words or, or saying something you're not thinking about. That's for me. I'm not speaking for anyone else up here, but that's a struggle. It's a difficulty. And so that's convicting. Are you offering your best to the Lord? He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. And he knows what we love the most. There's no fooling him. Secondly, amazingly, I think this COVID quarantine has exposed how some view worship. Uh, Right after we had to stop meeting uh, together, uh, you know, we pastors were, we were on the phone talking to other guys, how are you handling this, what are you doing, what's your church doing, you live streaming, you're recording, and all of those things, and universally, a concern of the pastors was this. You know, I'm afraid if we start live streaming, people get used to that so much easier just to stay home. They, they won't come back. Or if we're recording. Because it's, it's way easier. It's easier to take worship less seriously. Now, let me be clear again on this. I'm not talking about those of you who uh, need to continue in quarantine because you're taking some kind of treatments or you're, you're high risk or you're, um, there's some reason that you're concerned uh, for your own safety from the beginning and we still say we support you if that's the case. We don't want anyone uh, to feel pressured in terms of their safety. Because let's face it, if you go out of the house, there is some risk. But here's the concern. I know when we were first broadcasting our recorded services, those first few months before we went to live streaming, uh, we would record the worship during the week. I would preach on Thursday. And so I was home Sunday morning And I would be uh, there on the couch with my wife who uh, would say, man, I got you in stereo here. I'm, you know, I'm, (laughs) and I know the temptations. I know it was tempting to, to get up and get a cup of coffee during worship. I know there's lots of things around because you're home to take that phone call, to check on brunch or lunch that you're about to have. I know those temptations because I I felt them. And so I do want to speak to some of you. I've already said who this is not for. I've had so many people who have come back to worship that with tears have said it was only after I came back that I realized I was taking worship for granted. I know you, you know what that feels like when, you, when you're finally able uh, 
to be back. So the question is this. If you're still at home today, not in the high-risk category, especially if you're not socially distancing in any other part of your life, you're going out to eat, you're going to work, uh, you're going to stores, the only place you're socially distancing is not coming to worship. The question would be, how will you explain that to the Lord? when he has been so clear in his word and particularly in this passage. And if you're home, are are you focused and engaged in worship even though it's being live streamed? Are you watching it now at 10.30 so that you're at least doing it with the rest of the body of Christ? Or, Or do you choose a more convenient time to watch the recording. Now, I'm glad you're watching the recording if you are. But again, how does that fit? Is it about convenience or is it about a focus upon the Lord? And then thirdly, in terms of application, for those of you who are gathered, we're all about to approach this table, the Lord's table. Here. It matters how we approach it. He has told us that. Paul said this I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then here's, here's the warning. Here's the, in, the, in the light of God's uh, concern with the people Malachi is speaking to, think of this. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. It is a warning. Discerning the body, meaning Knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone for your eternal life. That's where it starts. But it's also a right focus upon him and a love for him that God knows in our heart. If there is sin in your life that you are unwilling to deal with, that means you love it more than you love Christ. And... According to this, you would be making a mockery of this table that reminds us of the cross, the body and blood of Christ, that reminds us of his great and perfect sacrifice, and that enables us, though we are imperfect and though we sin and though we 
sometimes sin, heinous sins, what he did on the cross was enough. And so if you can come in that light, you are welcome at this table. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to examine our own hearts. But we can't even do that honestly unless your Holy Spirit lays them bare. And so, Lord, where we need to uh, do real business with you, enable us to do that. And then nourish us with this feast before us. Though it's just a morsel, just a few drops, it's a feast because of what it represents, and that is your body and your blood given for us So will you take these elements and set them apart from their common use to your supernatural use to nourish us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.